Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. A friend of mine emailed me the other day and said, I saw this bizarre metaphor in a restaurant review. What in the world is this? The writer was describing a porterhouse steak and said that in terms of quality, this steak, quote, could not have been more middle of the road than if it was glued to a cat's eye. Eh? Oh, a marble. That's what I said. A marble? Cat's eye marble? Why would it be in the middle of a road? Uh, is that the name of the ring where you shoot marbles? Mm, that's a I don't know. A terrible theory. <laughs> I had no idea. I mean, I was picturing a poor cat, you know. With Wait, more middle of a road than, than a... a than if it were glued to a cat's eye. Okay, what is it? Think of the middle of the road, mm-hmm. you know, those little discs that are reflective. Oh, that's the what those safety. are called? They're called cat's uh, eyes. Isn't that great? I they were invented in the 1930s by one Percy Shaw of West Yorkshire. So if you're talking about something that's glued to a cat's eye, that's perfectly middle of the road. That's outstanding. Right. But how <laughs> would you know that unless you worked in the business, right? I don't know. She read it in the Myanmar Times. <laughs> That's nice. Wait, so we use it in this country? Um, it's used for sure in Britain, and okay. um, yeah, there there are lots of different words for those. Uh, so those the things. reflective things in the middle of the road yep. are called cat's eyes. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Makes great sense. I know. Now it does. Thank goodness for the internet. Thank you, internet. <laughs> <laughs> this is a show about words and language and family and culture and history. Give us a call eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi, good morning. This is Laura from San Diego. Hi, Laura. Welcome. What's up? How can we help? So um, I have been thinking about the fact that there are several card games that I play that have multiple names. Um, What brought it to my attention was my friends introduced me to a card game called Nerds. And when they taught me the rules, I said, oh, that's Canfield. I've been playing that since I was a kid. Um, And there's several other games that are like that. And I was just kind of intrigued by the idea that there's these card games that the rules are the same, but people know them by many different names. Is Nerds the one that involves shouting Nerds really loudly? <laughs> yeah, when you win, you shout Nerds. Because I remember Although my parents growing up, playing we that. shouted Canfield. I was, oh, really? I was going to say. I thought Canfield was a type of solitaire. <laughs> you know, I actually just looked it up recently, and it turns out that if you play Nerds alone, you're playing Canfield. Oh. But growing up, I learned Canfield as the group game. Oh, okay. oh my gosh. See, there we go. This is all over my head. I don't know either <laughs> of those games. But I love this well, because... And I just learned that Canfield is the name of the casino owner who invented the game. That's right. Uh, Robert, was it? Robert uh, Canfield? I'm not sure. He died, actually. He fell in the New York City subway, and he cracked his head and died from that. Oh, that's terrible. I want his story to be something dramatic at the poker table, but no. Wow. <laughs> so you're not going to tell me that Nertz is named for Mr. Joe Nertz. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but first I want to address the reason that she called, which is why there are all these names. Mm. Right. Because these games are still a part of the language. I mean, what we call them still behaves by the principles of slang and insider groups and the way we think alike people like us, how we exclude others intentionally or include mm-hmm. others intentionally. And certainly these games are passed almost in the same way that folklore is passed from person to person. I mean, most people who learn these games learn them uh, by word of mouth from yep. somebody else and not from like a Hoyle's rule book or anything like that. Right. And so the names, too, are part of that. The names can be changed. People are whimsical with names. But the other thing is I love that so many of these names for card games sound fierce and strong and bold <laughs> and, and because partly what you want to do is psych out people, right? You train the noob or the rube because you're going to take them for a lot of money and you want them to be further psyched out by calling it something really exaggerated. So A good example of that is a game that I learned as Egyptian Racehorses. Yeah. But I learned it at church camp, and it turns out the real name is Egyptian Rat Screw or Egyptian Rat <laughs> F-Word. Oh, F-Word. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I also learned there's a card game called BS, which stands for a bad word, but I learned it and we would euphemistically call it Bible Study. <laughs> <laughs> 
Outstanding. Oh, you're a kindred spirit. That's the kind of camp I went to. Well, the Egyptian notion is real fun, too, because the playing cards are thought to have entered European culture from Egypt. Uh, Apparently, oh. they started in China, traveled through Asia, through what was then Persia, in Egypt, and then came up with the Mediterranean traders into the southern European countries. And, and there's always been this notion since, like, the 12th century that sometimes there's something vaguely Egyptian about the card games. Mm, hmm. Kind of exotic. Yeah, too. kind of exotic. Maybe even the game Pharaoh is somehow uh, connected to the name of the Egyptian leader. We don't really understand at this distance. But the thing I want to talk about is nerds, because nerds, what you're shouting is a, a whimsical, corrupted form of the word nuts, N-U-T-S, <laughs> and all of the meanings of it. And I won't, will not elaborate here, but I will say that it's directly related to you when, when someone says, like, you need to give me uh, all your money because I'm going to the store. And you say, nuts to you? I'm not giving you anything. It's that nuts. It's the kind of like, it's kind of like the in-your-face kind of exclamation oh. or interjection. Huh. Yeah, but it, I don't know why it was corrupted, but it goes back to at least the 1920s in the, the nerds form. Nice. Wow. <laughs> I, I looked it up on Wikipedia, and it, it said it's, it's also known by the names Hell, Pounce, Peanuts, Racing Demon, or Squinch. Squinch. Yeah, I don't know any of those. <laughs> but peanuts, that fits with what you're saying. Yeah, I don't know any of those. But, but in my house, my parents would play. There's certain family members when they'd come to town. There was like it was a card tournament upstairs, and you wanted to plug your ears because they're so loud. And some of these <laughs> games, now you not only shout out something when you've done the deed, whatever it happens to be, but there's table slapping as part of the game, right? You're supposed to pound the table or claim a card as it's turned over. I don't even know. No, in that game, you're just you're all trying to play cards on the same spot, and so it's whoever can play it faster, and so, that probably gets loud. But it ends up as table pounding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <be> really aggressive. <laughs> all right. Well, if you're if you are interested in cards, I think there is an opening for a book or at least a long article about the names of card games. Because as far as I know, no real substantial work has been done on the names of card games. No, like tracing the names through the etymological history. Plen plenty of work has been done to trace the games themselves, but not the names. Hmm. <laughs> There you okay. go, Laura. You got your work cut out for you. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Thanks for your call, Laura. All right. Thank you, guys. Take All care. Right, bye. 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 This is a show about words and language and culture and family and history and just about anything because language is tied to it all. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. And talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. You remember our conversation about examine your zipper? Yeah. Dif different ways that you can mm -hmm. tell people that their flies, flies undone. Yeah, yeah. And probably the most common one, the one that I knew of was XYZ, right? Mm -hmm. Examine your zipper. Mm -hmm. We heard from Nina Lyons, and she says, in Pittsburgh, we say Kennywood is open. What's Kennywood? A local amusement park. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> is that like Kenny Rogers? Is that like, no, no. no. I don't know. Like Dollywood? I was just no. thinking like a oh, okay. It's an amusement park. She said just the other night, this happened to my husband, and he said, why didn't you tell me Kennywood was open? <laughs> she said, terrible. I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm borrowing that one. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Allison. I'm actually calling from San Diego, California. You're nearby. What's on your mind? So I have this phrase that my husband says every now and then that I have no clue where it came from or exactly what it means. Um, and I've been searching everywhere, and the only thing I could find was sort of a similar version of the phrase as a Dan Ratherism. Mm. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, that, that's, a deep, that's a deep category. What's this one? Okay, so what he says sometimes is, sure, if a frog had a pouch, he'd carry a gun. And what does he mean by it? <laughs> if a frog had a pouch, well, he'd carry a gun. What he tells me is that it's sort of sarcastic, saying, I would if I could, but I can't, so I won't. It's a version of that. And I think it's from the South. His family, um, all of his family is from the South. And no one in my family is from the South. So, you know, sometimes there's other things that, that I'm not quite sure what he's saying, but um, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> And what made you connect it to Dan Rather? Well, I just honestly did a Google search, and it came up as something he supposedly said on air once as well. So, yeah, he did. It um, was in, it was during the the brouhaha after the 2000 presidential election, right? Oh, 
He was like okay. on the air like constantly, and he and people kept remarking on, and everyone was watching, and people kept remarking on his, his folksy language. He had a ton yeah, of things. Yeah, that to sounds say. like him. Yeah. <laughs> and so what he said, I'm looking at an article from the L.A. Times. If a frog had side pockets, he'd carry a handgun. <laughs> <laughs> it may have existed before that election, but boy, I I can't even looking for a wide variety of variations. It looks like Dan rather at the minimum, was the popularizer of it, that he spread the word. Wow. I mean, there's no understating how many people watched the television news after that election just to kind yeah. of keep up with things. And so he had maybe had a lot of influence. And then articles were written about Dan Rather's speech. And he's a Texan, mm-hmm. um, and he does have that. Ah. He has a rich appreciation for for clever phrasing and a, a real knack for it. Yeah, so, it reminds me of that Texanism. That's as handy as hip pockets on a hog. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's good. That does mm. sound like it. You know, my husband's family is from Texas. Oh, ah. so there we go. A, a couple other variations. <laughs> of, if a frog had pockets, he'd wear pistols so he could shoot snakes. And, ah. if, and if a frog had hip <laughs> pockets, he'd carry a gun. But they're all basically the idea of it is just ridiculous to think of a frog having, having pockets, much less having a weapon. <laughs> And so whatever you're asking for is just not going to take place. So sort of like if wishes were horses, yeah, beggars would ride. Beggars right? would ride. That's quite interesting. I know, right? If you want to go- just Google Dan Rather, um, I don't know, metaphors, Dan Rather um, Texanisms, and you'll find a whole bunch more of these things. Maybe we'll share some later in the show. Yeah, that sounds fun. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Those um, mixed cultural marriages, uh, sometimes things just come up, don't they? Yeah. One language here, another language there. It's both supposedly English. It's great. Diversity is the great strength of the English language, I right? I agree, yeah. Mix and match. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. If there's one buzz phrase I'm ready to see go the way of all other old buzz phrases, it's dumpster fire. Oh, like tire fire. Dumpster fire meaning a very, very bad situation. Right, where nothing seems to have a resolution and everybody's bickering and it's the worst it could possibly be. Yeah, yeah. I think it's been around for for uh, fewer than 10 years. Yeah, but, I think so. Uh, and I think it started in the sports writing world. Oh, did it? Yeah, or that's where it was popularized. But all of a sudden, I'm, I'm just seeing it everywhere. Uh, there was a headline in the Weekly Standard, uh, our national dumpster fire. And Hillary Clinton's campaign actually tweeted something uh, describing one of the Republican debates as a dumpster fire. I'm so tired of dumpster fire. What is it about a word's constant use that makes it repulsive? Um, to me, dumpster fire is just such an icky image for one thing, but, um... Oh, just burning trash is just gross? Yeah, yeah, and it just, it just seems like this, um, linguistic conga line that everybody's joining. Right. With our bandwagon. Without much thought or care. Yeah, yeah, and if you haven't heard dumpster fire, you're going to hear it tomorrow, I guarantee it. Or just now. (laughs) (laughs) 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Got a minute? We need your help. Head over to gum.fm slash words and share your thoughts in our quick survey. Your feedback matters. It's the backbone of our show's success. Thanks for making our show even more successful. That's gum.fm slash w-o-r-d-s. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And here comes our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hi, John. Hey, hello, Martha. Hello, Grant. What's up, bud? Uh, I have a little quiz for you here. Um, This is about loan words. You know, I'm always trying to come up with a different category each time. This time we're going to look at loan words. I'll give you four English words at a shot that are loan words from other languages. Now, three of them will be from the same language, and the fourth will be the odd loan word out. For example, if I say alcohol, assassin, billabong, checkmate, you would say the odd word out is... Billabong. Billabong, right. Not from Arabic. Mm -hmm. It's not from Arabic. It is Australian in origin. Very good. Let's Mm -hmm. see how you do. Here's the first one. Bigot, quiche, saloon, tornado. Uh, Tornado. tornado, Because it's from Spanish. The others are from French. Mm -hmm. Yes, very good. Alligator, bravado... Guitar, 
Stucco. Stucco. Uh, guitar, guitar. I'm sorry. No, I would say alligator. Uh, alligators from uh, well Spanish, but you you, you know what they say. Always go with your first guess, unless it's wrong. But what your first guess stucco? was right. Stucco is correct. Oh, yeah. well, it's from Italian. It is from Italian. Yes, oh, very good. The others are from Spanish. Uh, Spanish. Spanish is right. Okay. Uh, here's the next one. Casino, fugue, umbrella, yacht. Casino, fugue, umbrella, yacht. Yes, that's the magic password. You win a million dollars. The door opens. Uh, I'm going to say yacht is, is that not um, German? That's, that's correct. German Actually, from, it's Dutch. German, yeah, German okay, for Dutch, hunting. Yeah. A little hunting boat. Oh, okay. Very good. Yeah. The others are? Uh, Italian. Yes, Italian. Very good. Maelstrom, slalom, smorgasbord, vodka. Vodka. Is? Russian, Russian for and, little water. And the others are Swedish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Bungalow, ghetto, shampoo, thug. Oh, uh, it's, 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 it's come from Hindi and the other one comes from Italian. Yeah, ghetto. Yes, is, yes, very good. Yeah. Ghetto is from Italian and the rest are from the Hindi. How about uh, boondocks, gingham, jungle, tattoo? Uh, gingham, because the others are from Tagalog. Or, or they're hmm. from the Philippines, and not necessarily, right? No, gingham is also Pacific Islander. For real? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay, let's hear those again, because tattoo Boondocks. is from there. Yeah. Gingham, jungle, tattoo. I guess jungle, then. Yes, jungle is correct. From it's H- a Hindi, Hindi word. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah. I had a friend of mine whose wife is from the Philippines explain to me today the origins of boondocks and how mm-hmm. American servicemen brought it over Kampong. from... yeah. That's right. You guys were fantastic. Congratulations. You did I great. like that one a whole lot, dude. Always nice to talk to you. We'll talk to you again next week. Um, keep puzzling, all right? <laughs> you too, guys. Keep uh, wording it up. <laughs> Take Will care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. You know, we take calls from around the world. If you've been wanting to talk to us, now's a really good time, 877-929-9673. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Or join us on our Facebook group. Just look for Away With Words, where you'll join an active community of thousands of other people talking about words and language. Hello, you have Away With Words. Hi, this is Bob Beacons from Oceanside, California. Hi, Bob. How you doing? Hey, Bob. Doing great. Oh, both of you. Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. <laughs> you yeah. get two for one, Bob. <laughs> What's up? I'm so lucky. What can we help with? Well, um, I was uh, selling real estate down in Mexico, down in Baja, and uh, I knew about the police there occasionally taking what's called a mordida, which is a a bribe if you're about to get a ticket. And I was pumping gas one day, and there was a dog next to the pump, and I got that look in my eye like I wanted to pet it. And the guy on the other side of the pump said, Peligro mordida estepero, or something like that, Mm. my pump. What the heck does a dog want a bribe for? (laughs) (laughs) And then he made a motion with his hands like biting, and I went, oh, mordita means to bite. Yeah. So I remembered uh, store owner protection money in New Jersey being called putting the bite on him. So I'm wondering, did the bite from New Jersey and Mordita, meaning the bite in Mexico, did they happen concurrently or separately, or how did that roll out? Oh, what an interesting question. Mm-hmm. It is indeed. Yeah, put the bite on in English and then the Spanish word Mordida, which means bite. M-O-R-D-I-D-A. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. Let's dispatch the English one first because uh, it's pretty simple. Just putting the bite on on somebody, as we said, is is to take something forcefully that's not yours. And I haven't seen that any earlier than the early 20th century. And it's often associated with gambling. So I don't know if there's mm. a gambling connection or not. But I haven't seen it any earlier than the 1930s. What's interesting about the term mordida in Spanish is that um, the Royal Academy in Spain hasn't been able to come up with a firm etymology of mordida. But if you look at some of the Spanish language sites, there are a couple of funny stories that purport to explain its origin. Would you like to hear them? 
Sure. It's funny because they both go back to the 17th century. One of them is that there was a uh, representative of the Spanish king in what is now Mexico, and he had very bad oral hygiene and needed new teeth. And so his underlings, sort of trying to impress him, went around and collected bribes from people to uh, to pay for the guy's dental work. And then the, that worked out so well that they continued uh, to take bribes. <laughs> in the future, but it was for La Mordida, for the guy's bite, oh. which is such a colorful story that I, I'm sure Grant is, is having the yeah, same kind of... colorful stories with language origins are almost always fake. Yes, yes. Yeah. And there's one Too more... Too good to be true. Yeah, one more that's floating around, actually, literally, which is that in the 17th century, when some of these Spanish galleons would crash close to shore and sink, um, they would hire people to go and get the stuff from the ship and, uh, you know, people who would dive maybe 20 or 30 feet in the water and on their supposedly on their last trip down they could take whatever coins were there and fill as many as possible into their mouths and come back to the surface and they were allowed to keep that little mordida also a silly story colorful i've seen illustrations of it online but uh how do you hold your breath and put coins in your mouth that was my question (laughs) maybe this is you know one of those you know look up gullible in the dictionary kinds of things i I don't know. But what interests me is that uh, we only see it uh, in English, put the bite on back yeah. to the 30s or so, but but there are these stories supposedly mm-hmm. that go back to the 17th century. But there are a lot Spanish of other speakers. words for bribing and bribes in American English, so it's not the they only have to one do with we... biting. Well, they don't, but they have to do with some with eating to sweeten something, mm, to bribe yeah. somebody or sweeten someone, or to a, a smear or a schmear in New York City. Ah, but well, that's your little extra little on top, extra. right? Uh huh. We do, by the way, Bob, we do say to, to, to get a taste means to get your part of something. That is still even used today. Like if there's a big business deal going down and I want a little kickback or a little bribe to make it happen, um, I, I, I could call it getting my taste or getting a taste, and that's the bribe. Nice. So, Bob, thanks for a great question. Oh, my pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi there. My name is Trevor Wyatt, and I'm calling from Abilene, Texas. Hi, Trevor. Welcome to the show. Hi, Trevor. What's up? Well, I live in Texas, and I've lived in Texas most of my life, but uh, my mom is from Chicago, and my father's from a little town in Maryland called Elkton. And for a long time, we used to go up to Maryland all the time, and we would have these things that we called spagglers. And so I didn't think anything of it. I thought I just thought that's what they were called. So I get to college eventually, and I go up to the lunch line and I ask for some spagglers, and the guy looks at me like I'm crazy, like he's never heard that word before in his life. So I look at the sign and see what they're called, and they're called asparagus. Oh! <laughs> so I had never heard them called that before in my life. Really? But never. apparently that's what everybody calls them. So I was wondering if... It was just the fact my grandpa didn't probably didn't even finish middle school and was not a highly educated man and didn't have the clearest hearing either. So I was wondering if that was a part of it or if it was just something that people said up there. Let me ask you a question. Did you have this whole separate track of knowledge about asparagus, though, at the same time? Did you know that the word asparagus existed and then it referred to a vegetable? Yes, I did. I knew that asparagus was a vegetable. I just didn't know that it was that. Right. Oh, my gosh, that's great. So you didn't learn about asparagus till you went to college. No, absolutely not. And I felt like an idiot afterwards. Oh, no. Oh, but here we are laughing at your misfortune. (laughs) Yeah, because it makes our day. I have not ever seen spagglers. No. And asparagus is just a weird word that lends itself to lots of variation. It it goes by lots of different names all around the country, like sparrowgrass and... uh, Aspirin grass. Aspirin grass, yeah. Aspare guts, I've seen. Um, dusty roots and in, a lot of times Louisiana. The, the, the A drops off. It's a um, so asparagus. Asparagus, yes, yeah. Aphetic, yeah. In um, upstate New York, it's called in some places Martha Washington or Mary Washington. What? Go figure. <laughs> I didn't know Go that. Go figure. So there are probably people, you know, going to uh, school in Syracuse right now That's who cool. are learning that it's not necessarily Martha Washington. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, that's really interesting. I'd never heard that before. Thank you so much for 
you know, opening my eyes to that. Yeah, a ton of people say other things. Don't feel too bad about it. Though I have to say, I haven't seen Spagglers on the record anywhere. Yours is the first time I've seen it. It's a nice, I like it. Was he a jokey person? Maybe it was just one of those family words that somebody mispronounced once? It might have been one of those family words because he was, he tried to joke around with us as much as he could. So maybe he knew what it was and then was acting like he didn't know what it was and then taught his entire family as kind of a cruel joke. (laughs) And sent you out in the world. (laughs) Trevor, I love this linguistic heirloom of yours. I think you should keep it and spread it around. It's a gift to hold tight to. Yeah. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, our pleasure. Thank you for calling. Yeah, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Some places it's called rich man's vegetable. Some places it's called cow feed. I like dusty roots in Louisiana. Dusty roots. Beet greens. Give me yeah. some beet greens. Beet greens. I've never heard that beet one. Beet greens. This show is about history, culture, and family all wrapped up in language. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org or talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. You know, Grant, earlier in the show when we were talking with Allison, you were talking about Dan Ratherisms, yes. mm-hmm. these little things that he comes up with. And I have to say that my favorite of all time was when he described something as being shakier than cafeteria jello. <laughs> that just brought back so many memories of going through cafeteria mm-hmm. lines and that jello in cubes <laughs> and, and the little glass you, things. Right? Yeah, and they're a little bit wobbly, probably because they're <laughs> more wobbly than, than what I had at home, probably because they're watered down. Oh, right? maybe, yeah. Cafeteria jello that's it's shakier than the jello that that we made so home. my favorite rather is i mean remember now a lot of these came to light when he was doing this extensive coverage after the debacle mm-hmm. of the non-stop, 2000 election yeah. right non-stop and he's talking about his endurance and his ability and willingness to sit there and keep reporting the news as it happens and he says when it comes to reporting a race like this i'm a long distance runner and an all-day hunter and i just love that it's just the Two different ideas of a guy who's going to hunt down the story and just keep going until, you know, past the marathon and past double the marathon, Red Bull. triple marathon. Yeah. <laughs> 877-929-9673. Hi, you have a way with words. Is this Martha? This is Martha. Who's Hi, this? I'm Elizabeth Bird calling from Bozeman, Montana. Well, welcome, Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. What's Good up? Good to talk with you. Hi, Grant. So my question was, I read um, in an article in the paper, I don't remember if it was a local article or an AP piece, but it mentioned a pitch battle. And I had always thought it was pitched with an ED battle. And um, I kind of proved the definitions of pitch in my dictionary and didn't really find something that seemed to fit. And then yesterday I heard another um, news piece where they were talking about uh, starvation had reached a serious pitch. And I wondered if pitched battle and a pitch of extreme is the same pitch and how it's related to the other definitions of pitch. You've chosen a real humdinger of a word. Pitch is super complicated here. Um, I want to address your specific question, though, about whether or not the newspaper article should have had pitch battle or pitched battle whether or not there should be an E-D after pitch. And it should have been pitched battle, P-I-T-C-H-E-D. That's the okay. standard form of that compound. Unless they were actually throwing a black sticky substance at each other, it probably should not be a pitch battle. <laughs> or it occurred in a baseball stadium. Right, a pitch battle. They're just, I don't really, yeah. Was it a baseball yeah. game? No? <laughs> no, no, no. So no, the black right. sticky stuff, the tar-like stuff, that's a whole different pitch. And it's even got a different etymological origin. This other pitch has all these different meanings and and they're all connected, but we're not quite sure how to say we, meaning dictionary makers. So pitch as in pitch of the voice, pitch as in the angle of a roof, pitch as in um, to throw something. And then we now have this pitches and pitched battle. This particular one is related to pitching a tent. You put up your tent. It's called pitching a tent. You put your stakes in the ground. You put the poles into place. Da, da, da. You create a shelter with an angled roof. Perhaps that has something to do with it. Maybe it's related to pitch as an angle. And the other thing it has to do with is a pitch as in a football pitch, what the British would call the field where they play soccer, Right. Um, because both of these are referred to a very specific place for a very specific action. Formerly, a pitched battle was a battle at a prearranged time and place. Martha is going to muster her troops. So I'm going to muster mine. We're going to meet at the beach at dawn. We're going to beat each other with pool noodles, whatever the battle is. But, <laughs> but that's 
that's our pitched battle, right? Because we've planned it. We've brought our our ranks and our forces, and we're coming in with a plan. However, it's moved on a little bit to mean any really violent confrontation between large groups of people. That was my understanding. Yeah, that's how it more or less is now. So the complicated factors here are that we don't really know the origins of pitch, but we're pretty sure it's related to pitch a tent, a football pitch, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think the common thread in all of these is basically positioning. You know, you're, you're positioning a tent, you're yeah. positioning mm-hmm. uh, uh, armies on, on the battlefield. And that's a really good way to do that. I mean, that's a, that'd be a very good, broad, overarching meaning here, particularly because it would include that would allow us to include things like pitching horseshoes. I'm positioning my horseshoe next right. to the stake, right? Um, it's a little harder to squeeze in the pitch of your voice in there, but we could probably m- mangle the definition or broaden it enough to make it fit. Well, yeah. Position it, of your voice. Yeah, position of your voice. But what about... Like, I thought it kind of meant extreme, like, because they talked about starvation reached a serious pitch. So I wondered if it meant, like, an extreme point. Well, Well, again, that's a position, a a level, like a pitch in music. And we can get even a little more specific than that in comparing to music. We talk about pitches in the angle of a roof. We talk about the degrees of a roof. Mm -hmm. And we could easily say the hunger reached a pitch degree, just that we could say that the roof was built with a very severe pitch. So it's about the degree, the measure, the quantity, the force, but always about in comparison to where it could be and where it needs to be. Yeah, and what I think is really interesting is is the idea that it's changed from the notion of two armies showing up at the same time. By appointment. Which, yeah, which is a notion that goes all the way back to ancient Greek tradition. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there are Greek words that translate as things like battles by agreement. Mm-hmm. It's it's like Alexander Hamilton you know, <laughs> showing up with Aaron Burr yeah. you know, at a pre-appointed well, time. Dawn with pistols or what have you. Yeah. Which leads me to the final thing I think I want to say on this, which is um, we got this into English from the French, which is where we got many of our military words overall and many of our military practices. La bataille rangée, basically an arranged battle or an arranged Mm -hmm. battle. Right. Right. But now, as as you said, it can mean just a really intense battle. Mm, that's yeah. that's what I understood for, for years. Mm-hmm. I only yeah, recently learned about pitch. That's being. pretty much where it is yeah. now, except in, in specialist use. Yeah. So it's changed a bit. How's that sound? It, it's so interesting how you've related pitch as tone, pitch as toss, pitch as an angle of the roof. I, I thought those were completely different definitions, but they're related. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for your call. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I really enjoy your show. <laughs> Great. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. Send your questions and email to words at waywardradio.org. Grant, do you know what bots dots are? They're also called turtles in Washington and Oregon, or in Texas, they're called buttons. No idea. Kind of flower? Kind of fungus? No. No. Remember earlier we were talking about cat's eyes Mm -hmm. being those reflective markers? Bots dots are just the raised pavement markers. They're like little ceramic domes. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Those are bots dots named for a guy, Dr. Albert Botts, a California engineer. Bots dots. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hey, we've got something special for those of you who love our show but could do without the ads. That's right. Imagine away with words, the same engaging conversations, the same deep dives into language without advertising interruptions. We're talking about our ad-free podcast feed. It's sleek, clean, and it's just for our supporters. It's at waywardradio.org slash ad-free. It's inexpensive, easy to sign up for, and works with all major podcast apps like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's an affordable way to support the show and get a seamless listening experience. And if you're feeling generous, why not give a subscription to another Away With Words fan? That's waywardradio.org slash adfree. Sign up today. Your support means the world. waywardradio.org slash ad-free. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. A few years ago, Anne Patty retired from her job as a book editor in New York City and moved to the country. And she found herself trying to figure out how she was going to fill her time. She'd always, of course, had a fascination with words. And eventually this led her to take classes in, of all things, college-level Latin. 
She writes about this in her new book called Living with a Dead Language, My Romance with Latin. Grant is a charming introduction to Latin itself and to the orderliness and beauty of the language and the way that the real masters of Latin poetry, once you get past all the stuff in Caesar, and they're able to take those big clunky Latin words and just make them dance. So it's, it's a lovely memoir in those terms. But what struck me is that the book is also about learning later in life. And that brings me to one of my favorite words that I love. It comes from the ancient Greek. It's opsimath. Opsimath? Opsimath. O-P-S-I-M-A-T-H. It comes from Greek words that mean learn late in life. And it got me to thinking about the question that I have for you, Grant, which is what is on your opsimathic bucket list, your realistic bucket list? Not, Not like you know, maybe I'll do this someday, yeah. but, but but what's on your agenda? I don't think of myself as late in life yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. <laughs> but it's a good question. Later. And I wonder what it was about that author. What is her name again? Anne Patty. I wonder what it was about Anne Patty and me and people like us that makes us want to work on a language late in life because I constantly want to improve my French and Spanish. Mm. I, I do minimal things. I subscribe to a, a lot of Facebook pages and groups in those languages on topics that I care about mm-hmm. and in that way see some French in Spanish every day. But um, I wonder about that. What is it about having the time now mm-hmm. that makes you want to work on a language? I also want Spanish so I can go to Mexico and enjoy myself Well, more, I was but... going to say, exactly. I mean, if, if you're going to start on an ancient language oh, yeah. late in life... Not it's... much utility except for reading. Yeah, or talking to other Latins. Right. But yeah, it's not going to help you when you you know <laughs> want to go to a foreign country and ask where the bathroom is, no. right? There's a lot of wisdom... It... And beauty mm-hmm. in the ancient literature, and that's what she was going after. But what are you going after? On my realistic, opsimathic bucket list, uh, I definitely have ASL. I want to learn American Sign Language. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, just because it's such a different way of of handling, literally, right. language. Communicating differently. Yeah, and so I'm very curious to learn that. Other than that, in terms of skills, I, I think of skills that I have that I, that I want to continue. Um, I would love to get back to sculling. I used to do a lot of rowing and, mm-hmm. and juggling. I am a lapsed member of the International Jugglers Association. I always want to be learning something new. I always want right. to be a beginner at something. That's important. Martha, that book again was? It's called Living with a Dead Language, My Romance with Latin by Anne Patty. Great. Well, we'd love to hear what you are doing to learn now. You don't have to be late in life. Let us know with the big project in your life, the one thing that you're really working on that you're actually going to sign up for so that you can learn and move forward and become something new or something better. Yeah, or it, maybe you've done it. Maybe and... you've done it and had the experience and you yeah. can tell us what, how amazing it was. 877-929-9673. Or if it's really long, throw it an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, how are you? This is Brandon Smith. I'm calling from Southern Vermont. Southern Vermont? Well, welcome, Brandon. It's sunnier in Southern Vermont than it is in Northern Vermont, right? It's true. It's like the banana belt of the state, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Banana creamies. (laughs) (laughs) What's on your mind, dude? What can we help with? Hey, I was wondering about a couple words that my grandfather used to use uh, in Mississippi. So, that's where I was born. Half of my family was there, and I used to go there in the summers as a kid. Whenever I'd show up, he'd always say, hey, puzzle gut. So that's one that I'm kind of curious about. And another one, we used to go fishing in the bayous over in Louisiana. And a term that he used over there would be when we heard a, a noise coming from the bushes or out in the bayou somewhere. and We didn't know what it was. He'd always say it was a wampus cat. And those two things, I've never really looked up or, or known what they were, so I was wondering if you could help me out. Brandon, I'm curious about how he used those. For example, did he imply that a wampus cat was something scary? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it was kind of meant to uh, create a vague critter kind of out in the bushes. You know, I, I, I don't know if he meant to necessarily scare us, but it certainly wasn't a friendly pet that we were going to go find. No. Right, right. Okay. And when he called, when he said, hey, Puzzle Gut, Puzzle Gut? Z's? Puzzle. I think it, no, I think it was S, I'm, I think. Oh, okay. U-S-S-E-L, maybe. Okay. So was that affectionate? Was it teasing? Yeah, it was a bit 
teasing, kind of tongue-in-cheek. You know, he's just kind of picking on us, I think, was his intention. Uh-huh. Did you have a pot belly? No, I didn't, <laughs> but, you know, I don't think it would have mattered to him. I think he would have used it either way. Well, I asked for a reason, not just because I was curious about your your body type, um, because the the puzzle part is very related to the word pus, as in the the liquid that's inside a blister. Huh. And so the idea is that you have a, a pot belly or a big belly, like you have a like a swollen gut. Yeah, you have mm-hmm. a swollen gut. I guess I kind of assumed that's what it was, but I really had no idea. You know, like a little pot belly kind of thing. Yeah, and there's lots of record of this. The Dictionary of American Regional English, one of our trusted sources here, has a really great entry on this. They take it back as far as 1909, where it pops up in, a, in an academic book series called Dialect Notes. And um, it's not never been very common, but it's still out there. That's great. Yeah, right? It's cool. And then Wampus yeah. Cat. Now, I'm sure you Googled Wampus Cat. Did you? I actually haven't, you know, oh, come the, two, now. the two I was going to, but I figured I'd call you first. Do yeah. it, because there's a ton of information. It's a classic folklore animal from American culture. We have a ton of these. It's kind of up there. It's not as famous as Bigfoot, but it, maybe it should be. It'll pop up in story after story, campfire tales, fiction, nonfiction. It's gotten the full kind of folklore treatment from experts. It's really interesting. Uh, even the Wikipedia entry, and I hesitate to say this, is not terrible on it. And some of the pictures are hilarious if they imagine, like, a man cougar creature with like a, a spear and you know a loincloth like poised to attack or something like this it's it's really interesting poised to attack the wow. wampus cat no the, the wampus cat or, is oh, that's that actually, yeah oh, yeah wow. some of the <laughs> so like some of the some of the illustrations are just hilarious wampus yeah. cat yeah no kidding that's great i'll have to carry that one on with my story. yeah definitely yeah i had no idea i had the backstory like that yeah well, google, you, google it gonna, find the stories are you gonna carry on puzzle gut as well <laughs> Yeah, why not? They're just kind of fun things, you know. It's just it's just like a term of endearment. I've always remembered it. I mean, I was probably, you know, five years old the first time I heard it or younger. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of sweet. Man, if you were a five-year-old, you could have had that little cute little pot belly that kids have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's probably true. Who knows, you know. That's really great. Well, thanks a lot, guys. I yeah, sure, Brandon. Uh, thanks for your call. Thanks, the Brandon. There. Bye-bye. Right. Have fun in sunny Vermont. I, I will. <laughs> Bye. 877-929-9673 is the number to call to talk about language or send us an email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Peg Tanner, uh, and I'm in Springfield, Illinois. Oh, hi, Peg. How you doing? Hello, Peg. Hey, hi. What can we do for you? Well, um, I have a saying that I hadn't heard before um, when I went to uh, Eastern Illinois University. My friend BJ's grandfather uh, had a strange uh, comeback for how are you. Um, we would walk in the door and uh, we would say, Granddad, how you doing? And he would always say, forked and down. Um, and m- he was born in 1894 and he lived on a farm near Reardon, Illinois, which is close to Charleston. And so he was a farm boy and I believe when you say fork it and down, uh, it's because your hay fork is down, you're fit and ready to work. Everything's okay. So when he would say that, it meant that he was in good operating condition, right? Yeah, everything was fine. Okay. If he was fork it and down. Fork it and down. Peg, have you ever drawn a stick figure? Of course. Okay. Which end of that is forked? <laughs> <laughs> The, the top or the, the bottom? The bottom, the yes. Lo- the other end looks like a spoon. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So if your forked end is down, both of your feet are on the floor. Yeah, that's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, so you're not laid up and with illness or you're not sleeping, you're not relaxing. Yeah. You're not feet up. That's yeah, right. Yeah, you're yeah. not feet up. You know, you're 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 still standing. Yeah, that's not, how I think of it. Yeah. You're still standing. Not like a dead yeah. bug in the windowsill. Yeah. So it's a pretty simple explanation. I've seen descriptions of people riding bucking broncos and going forked end up, you know, when they get thrown from from the horse. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I see. Yeah, but if you're forked end down or forked end down, then you're you're standing tall. Ready to go. On on your feet and raring to go. Okay. Well that's that's all I have then. All right. Thank you so much, Peg. Take care of yourself. Thanks, Peg. Keep that forked end down. Okay. I will. Bye bye. -bye. Forked end is down. Okay, good. Bye bye. Bye bye. (laughs) It's old-fashioned, but it's out there. You can uh, find this in old Google Books, Forked In Down, right? It's, yeah. It's not that common. I like it. I do, you know? too. Because, it takes you know, just a second to 
for it to click, uh-huh. right? Just a second. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's going to be my new response when people <laughs> say, how are you doing? Because how often do they really want to know how you're doing, <laughs> Almost right? never. It's just right? custom. Forked in down. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org or join us on Facebook where we've got a really lively Facebook community. Just search for Away With Words. The other day I was hiking in beautiful Mission Trails Regional Park here, and I saw a bunch of turkey vultures, and that got me to thinking about turkey vultures, and there turned out to be a uh, great display there at the visitor center about turkey vultures. And now I am newly obsessed Why? with turkey vultures because there's so much cool language involved. Um, you know what a group of vultures in a tree is called? Is this a real collective noun? Is yes. one of the artistic yes. ones? No, no. No, I don't know what it is. It's a committee. A can, committee of vultures, okay. or you can say a venue of vultures, venue. or a vault of vultures. Oh, vault, V-U-L-T? V-O-L-T. V-O-L-T. And the word for a group of vultures flying is different. It's kettle. A kettle, a kettle of vultures. kettle, like K-E-T-T-L-E? Yes. Oh. And then a group of vultures that is feeding on a dead animal yeah. is called a wake. A wake. A wake oh. of vultures. Yeah, yeah. These these are terms that ornithologists these are, these use. These are real terms yes, or jokey yes. terms? Yes, No, they're, oh, they're okay. terms that ornithologists use. You know, another cool thing about them that I learned is that, did you know that vultures, to cool themselves, will pee on their legs? Uh, no. How is that cool? It's called urohydrosis from Greek for urine sweating. Oh, okay. It, it, you know, it evaporates and cools their legs. Another reason not to hang around with the vultures. <laughs> And their Latin name, Cathartes Aura, means cleansing breeze. So, bald heads, the smell of carrion, and pee on their legs. Yeah. Remarkable creatures. But they're the waste management business of nature. America's strongest. Yes. (laughs) 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hey, this is Daniel in uh, Dallas, Texas. Hey, Daniel, welcome. How are you doing? What can we help with? My best friend growing up, whenever we would be hanging out with a group of people, he was kind of the cool one of the group. And whenever we'd get bored, things would slow down, and he came up with an idea of what he wanted to do. He would say, let's blow this popsicle stand, and then he would just get up and kind of walk off, and we would follow him. I always thought he made it up. Um, and then I found out recently that other people have heard that before. Um, and so I was just wondering where, I mean, yeah, why, why are we blowing up popsicle stands? And uh, why that means having a good time, although I can see why it might <laughs> be a good time. <laughs> uh, there's two parts to this. The one that's most operational would be the word to blow, which is meant to leave since well into the 1800s. Um, very slangy uses, of course, but if you blow, you're blowing out of here. You're blowing on through. You're done. You're gone. They're sailing away with the tide winds. So um, the pop stand part is really complicated. Well, a popsicle stand is how many people say it today, but it was originally pop stand, and pop for soda isn't universally known, so people replaced it with Popsicle, which is more universally known. So a pop stand was just a place where you'd go get a soda back in the day, like the 50s or 60s. And then by the ni- early uh... 90s, yeah. So, by the, so basically you're just, leaving, you're just leaving this place where you just had a refreshment. That's it. And then we replaced it with a bunch of other things. There are a wide ver- variety of variations on, you know, let's blow this whatever. Um, popsicle and Popsicle stand is just the most current one. There are a couple places that I think had a lot to do with blow this whatever coming into the fore of a kind of slang usage. There was the 1953 movie The Wild One with um, Marlon Brando. And also in 1973, there was a book called A Good Day to Die by Jim Harrison. And that book was a bestseller. And there's a line in there uh, with some coarse language we can't use on the air. But he says, let's get ready and let's get out of this pop stand. Um, and that's one of the first places that we can find pop stand being used in that way. But it refers, it refers specifically to like a, you know, a place where you'd get an old-fashioned soda. Yeah, that makes more sense to me than a popsicle stand. I, yeah. I, I've never I, seen a popsicle exactly, stand. Exactly, but a pop stand for sure. Yeah. Like a drugstore, you know, yeah. soda fountain. Yeah, or just yeah, something yeah. at the fair or something where yeah. they're, they're serving that up. That makes a, a lot more sense. I yeah. just had a little aha moment myself. <laughs> so that's it. And here we are still saying it. But it's always had a tinge of the, the cool cat saying it. So it's interesting that your, your friend who fashions himself as the, the cool one um, 
kind of retains that. It's never been really nerdy usage. It's always been like, I'm the leader of this group. Let's blow this joint. Let's get out of here. Yeah, I'm picturing James Dean, you know, in tight pants and cigarettes rolled up in his short sleeve. Well, that's how Brando is in that film I, I mentioned. Oh, okay. He's well, very much like that. I think it's, a, I, I misremember it maybe, but it's, I believe it's a motorcycle gang and they're they're tough dudes and they come into town and they cause a lot of they trouble. They drink some trouble pop for the and they citizens. leave. <laughs> well, it was a different time. <laughs> they couldn't have him doing heroin. <laughs> It's funny, though, with that masculine image, though, and then it being a pop stand and then changing to a popsicle, which is honestly not that masculine of an item at all. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, the pop stand, (laughs) I mean, there are cultural notions around soda and places that kids gather. I mean, there's really what we're talking about here is there you got to go back. You can find it in the newspaper. Screeds written against pool halls. I mean, it's in... Uh, it's in movies and plays and and soda stands and restaurants and diners because that's where the kids gathered. And if the kids gathered, they must be up to trouble. So it's not so much the sto- soda, it's the people who are attracted to it. That makes perfect sense. Cool. Thanks for your call. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for answering my question. All right. Take care. All right. Now. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. What do you say when you want to leave someplace? Call us, 877-929-9673, or send it to us in email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. At the top of the show, we were talking about cat's eyes, those reflective markers on roads. Mm -hmm. And it made me think of another of my favorite words, which is chatoyant. Chatoyant, uh-huh. C-H-A-T-O-Y-A-N-T, chatoyant. Yes. Cat-like. Yep, yep, chatoyant means glowing like a cat's eye. Oh, chatoyant. Yeah, oh. and that phenomenon where you see a cat's eyes glowing mm-hmm. is called eye shine. Eye shine, I've heard that one. Yeah, and it's, it's because there's a little membrane behind the retina that reflects light back, and eye shine is different in all different kinds of animals. I remember in central Florida, I used to go wolf spider hunting which you they can... have chatoyant eyes as well yes Ooh. yes it's crazy you can you can look up how to do this on the internet but but i used to do it as a kid looking for wolf spiders and alligators when when i would go to a swamp isn't that cool that's cool so in the cartoons when they show eyes peering out of the darkness it can actually happen yeah if you have a flashlight 877-929-9673 email words at waywardradio.org and we're on twitter at w-a-y-w-o-r-d Want more Away With Words? Listen to years of past episodes at waywardradio.org or find the show in any podcast app or on iTunes. Our toll-free line is always open, so leave us a message at 877-929-9673 and we'll take a listen. We love to get your messages at words at waywardradio.org or hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D and look for us on Facebook. This program would not be possible without you. Grant and I are out to change the way we listen and think about language, and you're making it happen. Thanks also to senior producer Stephanie Levine, director and editor Tim Felton, director Colin Tedeschi, and production assistant Emma Kelman in San Diego. In New York, we thank quiz guy John Chinesky and that master of keeping it real, Paul Ruist at Argo Studios. Away With Words is an independent production of Wayward, Inc. From the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. So long. Bye-bye.